0: Fangoria magazine has never been better and now is offering even more horror content for members than ever before. In addition to the four beautiful 100 page coffee table worthy issues a year, you'll also now get exclusive access to digital horror content like long form pieces, deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror access to the Fangoria vault and a constant curation of our editorial team's favorite links from across the internet. They take the time to aggregate the most important news and horror in one space so that you don't have to. Become a Fangoria Plus member today and get the best of both worlds. All the horror you crave on your shelves and on your screens. Go to Fangoria.com and become a member today. Use promo code Queerwolf for 15% off right now.
1: Hello and welcome to Attack of the Queer Wolf. I'm Nay. I'm Brennan. And that's it. That's it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us two today. I'm
2: so, I've been so I've been like looking forward to this all week. Oh
1: my god, that's so sweet. Yeah, I was thinking how we haven't had one together, but like Michael and I have. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I've just and... been
2: sitting over here like mm, I need some Nay time. <laughs> so, yeah, I was the one to push Michael down the stairs this of week. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um oh yeah um we are recording this while he is out making his movie mm-hmm. i have no idea when in the schedule this is going to air so that is what's happening currently just for the record right. right
1: i hope all of us um eventually are gone to make movies
2: i think it's that's the queer wolf curse yeah <laughs> um it's a, it's a blessing in disguise definitely that was i don't know what no I'm disguise really, say something huh? say something smart nay no <laughs> i have <okay>. nothing
1: <laughs> sorry um what have you been watching well, um, I had a couple things. It's
2: going to be pretty fast, because this week I've had things that I don't have a lot to say about. Okay, okay. Um, but I did, I watched um, Karen Kusama's The Initiation. Oh, cool. Her movie from 2015. Um, I'd never seen it before. It just, it missed me. Like, mm-hmm. I try really hard to keep up on indie horror, but especially the, the theaters that indie horror plays at. It
1: costs a lot of money sometimes. Yeah.
2: Um. But yeah, I, I did like it. I, I thought it was, have you seen it?
1: No. Okay. Even though I think she's so badass. Oh, yeah. So I definitely need to see it.
2: Yeah. It's definitely, it's like a slow burn dinner party thriller. And I found it a little predictable, or at least you know the beats of like where it's mm-hmm. going, but it's still pretty thrilling to watch it, like put it through its paces. Um, I will, Um, th- there's a lot of different ways to approach the movie and a lot of different like subtextual layers to it but i really liked the one of it's a bunch of it's a bunch of old friends who haven't really seen each other in a while at a dinner party and this really weird shit starts to happen and it it kind of explores the way that people are kind of willing to accept really weird scary stuff in the name of being polite and like mm-hmm. maintaining the tone of the room <laughs> and that that was really interesting and that's definitely a I don't know, B level subtext there. Cause there's a lot of other stuff going on, but that's the one that I really kind of picked out of it. That I, thought I was love really interesting.
1: that. I love a like dinner party gone wrong. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Story plot. So yeah, definitely want to watch that.
2: Um, I have some other stuff, but what, what have you been watching?
1: Uh, I watched Midsommar finally. Oh, yes. how, uh, <laughs> how did that treat you? Okay. So, I mean, it is a beautiful, visually stunning movie. Um, I love shrooms, so <laughs> <laughs> I loved how, uh, how trippy it was. Um, I, I love the last hour. <laughs> I, I rewatched mm-hmm. the last hour again. It, when it's two and a half hours, it felt like a lot of just like European nonsense. And <laughs> cause you're like, wow, this is just a lot of nonsense. Um, except of course, spoiler, when the, when the very... Let's just say Ari is very good at like head trauma. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> there were some really cool, a couple cool things um, before the last hour that I did enjoy. But I did really like last hour, and especially when I watched it again for the second time, I liked it a lot. You have, I feel like you have a tendency to rewatch his yes. movies. Do you feel like they grow with you? Yes, definitely. I think every movie grows with well, me because right. I'm usually not paying that <laughs> great of attention the first uh-huh. time. Um, so Fair I enough. usually have to. <laughs> ingest them a few times um
2: i will say that i parts of midsummer actually kind of match up with what i was talking about in the invitation um okay actually a quick self-plug um i wrote an article on dread central about midsummer being a pretty strong metaphor for american isolationism
1: oh and i definitely need to read that please do i will
2: um but in, in the sense that like They are willing to accept anything because they understand nothing about the culture that they're stepping into and they just assume, well, this is how it must be because we're, we don't know anything and we did no research. So let's just be polite and go with it.
1: I just, I just cannot. I think that I find myself being not that adventurous of a person because I can't stand any of that shit. Like, I need mm-hmm. to know what's going to happen for the most part. I need to know who's going to be there. I need to know cultural norms and, like, what I'm getting myself into. And I definitely don't want to go on a trip with my man that's not acting right and his friends who clearly don't like me. Like, that's yeah. just, like, the last place I would ever want to be. Um, but I think it set it up really well for the kind of, like, mind space that yeah. she would be in. because. I
2: mean, he's the last thing she's clinging to mm-hmm. for like any semblance of what she had. Yeah. And that's,
1: it's a rough, it's a rough movie. It, it is rough. Um, But I, I mean, I've definitely will watch it several more times in my life. Okay. Um, she watch the
2: director's cut. I yeah. Hear yeah. I definitely longer. want to see that.
1: I mean, I know I can do it though. Yeah. I, I, I need, I it. like, I need to know <laughs> what else is involved. Yeah. The people I've heard who've seen it did like it. So at least it doesn't it's not worse. It's not worse. It's also just nice to look at. Like even if I think oh, yeah. what's going on is absurd or um nonsense, I'm like, this is visually stunning. So yeah. who cares? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's a very methodical director. Yeah. Um uh, speaking of methodical directors, I watched the new Pedro Almodovar film. Mm-hmm. It's called Pain and Glory. It stars Antonio Banderas playing. Spanish film director for, 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 for Pedro Almodovar. <laughs> um, it is his most autobiographical film. And it's actually like very vulnerable to a shocking degree. And obviously there's a lot hidden by a veneer of fiction where it's like, Oh, did that really happen? We we don't really have a way of knowing unless you actually know the man himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a director who I always find explores his passions and interests a lot but in the realm of other characters and people who are different than him. And this is the first time he's really showing us who he is and where he's coming from like very specifically. Like Antonio Banderas's hair is a wild <laughs> halo in this movie which is what Alejandro has. Um it's 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 a very clear like 1 to 1 ratio on this one. And it's it's really um I don't know. It's, it's really kind of poe faced and serious, which are my l- less favorite Almodovar movies. I really like him. I, I find that he can work in comedy almost anywhere mm. and his straight out comedies are the ones that tend to be my favorite. Uh, even he has a movie called I'm so excited. That's basically about an orgy on a plane and it got pretty panned, but I find it hilarious.
1: Yeah. want to know more about that. Oh
2: yeah. It's, it's, it's a great movie. Um,
1: Yeah, this movie, it's... How many people are on the plane? Like, is everyone on the plane involved in the orgy, or...? um,
2: Almost everyone. Wow. Um, At least a dozen people. (laughs) It's not a hugely populated plane, okay? but they're, for some plot reason, they're circling over the airport kind of endlessly, and they're just kind of stuck. And, you know, they're all talking about their backstories, and just things start to heat up, and it just kind of goes wild. Oh, my God. It's very funny. It is his lightest fluffiest movie and people are like, where's the art house? And I'm like, it's right here. <laughs> Just look. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, pain and glory is definitely heavier. It's a lot about aging. It's a lot about pain. It's in pain the title. And glory.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, basically Antonio Banderas is a film director who is old and he's kind of taking stock of his life and he has a lot of pains. He's on a lot of different medications. Um, Pedro Almodovar actually, um, Also, just like me, has a photosensitivity, he deals with migraines, and this is someone whose job is literally shaping light. Wow! Um, So the movie is kind of, it's more of an essay, like Hmm. from him to his audience, that explains how he's feeling as an aging filmmaker and why he felt compelled to make this movie. And it's definitely more... Heady and not like a, you know, super fun, wild ride. But it's really interesting, especially the more you learn about him and where he grew up. There's a lot of really good flashback sequences of him as a child. And Penelope Cruz plays his mom. Cool. And it explores his um, upbringing in like a pretty remote Spanish village. Um, He's from La Mancha, I believe. But the movie isn't set anywhere specific. I can go down a lot of rabbit holes with this. But I'll just be... Uh, I've read so much about his work and Mm -hmm. it just means a lot to me. And I I feel like he, like the movie is probably like a seven out of 10 for me in terms of like a motion picture experience, but it's really beautiful. There's this really interesting, uh, it's basically, it's a depiction of a one man show. That's just a monologue, but it's stunningly gorgeous. And the way he uses color to break up the screen is, it's, it's magnificent. Um, but I will, uh, I'm trying to find one last thing to talk about cause I could babble about him forever. <laughs> um, but I think there's something really interesting in, in his work as a whole about the idea of the village where he grew up because he, he very frequently includes a character in his films who is a mother who's living in well, usually Madrid, the city, wherever it's set, who wants to return to the village where she used to live before she dies. um, And in his early, like, kind of punk, early 80s work, that character was kind of viewed as, like, kind of a tragic, ironic figure of, like, someone who kind of couldn't cut it Mm -hmm. and is trying to go back to a simpler life. Um, But starting around the movie Volver in 2006, um, he becomes very nostalgic and reminiscent about that time in his life and is kind of reevaluating what it means in this movie is very much that thesis of where he's landed on what he feels about the villages where he grew up and it, it, it's good
1: to check it out. Well, Oh well,
2: um, I hear you watch some other things.
1: Uh, yeah, I, well, I wish Michael was here, um, to talk about this with me because, <laughs> but it's okay. Cause I text him about it. I started watching Schitt's Creek. Oh
2: really? Yes. Okay. And
1: I, I, have been screaming it's okay. so funny oh my god it's so funny to how, me. how far are we uh i just finished the first season okay <gasps>
2: mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. the the cold open of the finale of season one has some of the best moira physical acting oh
1: my god i yes i have literally been screaming like yeah. i'm just like hollering at the oh, show.
2: Well, no plot spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched it yet. But yeah, th- that part where she's like ecstatic with joy and she kind of crumples <laughs> to the ground and is reaching out towards him. Oh. Uh, do you have a favorite character? Uh,
1: I mean, I go, I think all of them have all of them at some point have been, I've been like, Oh, that's actually my favorite. Oh, mm-hmm. That's actually my favorite. But I, oops, <laughs> um, these mics. Um, I think Catherine O'Hara, might be my favorite. I mean, Ugh. I don't know who could be more of my favorite than her.
2: Oh, yeah, she's exquisite. I
1: like, she's so absurd and fucking annoying that yep. I like, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Just like, also, I mean, but everyone in the show is so stellar that like, it really. Sometimes I'm just like, "Wow, actors are nuts! <laughs> like, yeah. how did you get yourself to interpret that in that way and then perform it in that way?" And it's just like brilliant.
2: Yeah, you can see the <clears throat> the work that they put into oh, absolutely. making these people come to
1: life. Absolutely,
2: yeah. And in making them not completely
1: insufferable, even yes. though the
2: things they do are
1: yes awful. They're awful, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly
2: um i can't wait to get updates as you progress yes, further. i'm
1: so glad i started it i haven't watched a a new funny show in so oh. long because you know i just i either watch something scary or i watch the office uh-huh. and um obviously i've seen the office who knows how many times through so it's been a while since i had a new like funny show it's oh, yeah. exciting
2: Oh, and that actually brings me to the last thing I was going to talk about, which is the new Office Rewatch podcast, Office Ladies. Oh yes,
1: I have not listened yet, but cool. I will be listening.
2: Oh, it's I I I was a little nervous about it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, it's a new podcast from Earwolf. It's w- uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from The Office, and every week they're going to watch a new episode of The Office and recap it <laughs> and give like behind the scenes info. And I was kind of like, is this just going to be like? an advertisement for watching the office on Netflix where we're just kind of up our own asses about like the <laughs> office is great. Um, it isn't not that, but also it's delightful.
1: Oh, I bet.
2: Cause they clearly adore each other. They do. They're having so much fun and I've definitely l- already learned things that I had no idea. Oh my God, about. I
1: can't wait.
2: And I will ask, do you have a favorite character from the office?
1: i mean it's it's definitely changed throughout my life because you know like i used to like jim and obviously he's the worst so now i hate him um but when i my first time watching it through which was like what was it like 10 years ago or something um andy was my favorite and and now i'm like really because i (laughs) he's so fucking annoying um But I think that Angela's character, I used to hate her the most, Mm -hmm. but as I grew, as I grew in age and have like experienced what Angela experiences where you get humbled, which is like Uh basically like the greatest character arc I've ever seen in a sitcom is like that of Angela where she goes from being this snobby bitch to like someone who experiences pain and is very humbled. And like, you end up being able to garner compassion for her, which is just wild. Um, so now like everything she says and does just cracks me up because oh. I end up liking her in the end, you know, and
2: cause you know where she's going, and you know where she's
1: going. Um, but I don't know. Like I feel really obsessed with stanley (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) um but yeah there's no one i don't like and i think if i think of any particular person i'm like oh no no yeah that's that that's my favorite Mm -hmm. that's my favorite like obviously meredith is my favorite oh no obviously it's creed no it's michael i don't know i love them all
2: i will say on my most recent rewatch which was a couple years ago but the character that really started just taking up residence in my heart was phyllis.
1: Oh, I love phyllis i just
2: find her so earnest and sweet and uh, she's just like she has such little subtle mm-hmm. funny business around the edges of like every scene mm-hmm. and she is working her ass off mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't notice the first couple times you're watching it because it's so small and her character is yeah. never really foregrounded mm-hmm. but yeah she's superb
1: yeah, I mean, definitely. The older I get, as I watch it, the more I realize how fat phobic the show is.
2: <sighs> of course, sitcom rewatching,
1: right? And so I think in the beginning, I don't even think I was. I mean, I think I was still pretty fat phobic myself. Probably, I was definitely still like dieting and trying to be a smaller person back then. So I think I probably I didn't notice Phyllis because. They don't really want you to in a certain way or something. I don't know. No, of course they want you to. I have no idea what I'm saying. But I think that over time I've been like, oh, wow, actually you get treated in a really fucked up way um, and have seen how she kind of like <sighs> goes against the grain in that way. Because you don't ever you actually don't ever see Phyllis or Stanley or Kevin like dieting or like mm-hmm. trying to you know, really change themselves to get like Michael off their back. Um, yeah. Anyway, I could talk about the office forever. So let me, okay. <laughs> let me stop right now. No worries. But, um, yeah. I heard you
2: watched Texas Chainsaw too. Did that oh, yeah.
1: happen? I did watch that too.
2: Was that your first time? No. Okay. No, no, but h- how was it this time?
1: Oh my God. It's, um, it's amazing. I think I've, I've been realizing, Cause I have this reoccurring nightmare that happens. I used to just think it was like (laughs) based on Fraggle rock, (laughs) but now I actually think that it had some Texas nightmare, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two in it. Just like that underground cavern
2: with all the Christmas lights. Mm -hmm. That's a glorious set. Oh my God. I would live there.
1: Yes. And after this, remind me to tell you a story about an actor (laughs) in that movie. Who was really acting up during a screening a few weeks ago? Can okay. <laughs> I tell you about that? Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, okay. um, but yeah, I watched that. I watched Carrie again, mm-hmm. of course, because I miss Nancy Allen, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, how I, I just want to, you know, just see her, <laughs> see her again. So it was uh, Carrie's also like one of my comfort movies, and I was just like, oh, I want just like good old classic. Yeah. Comfort, comforting, terrifying story.
2: Yeah, to balance out the the Texas Chainsaws, the Midsommars of it all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Is that, do we have anything else or are we.
1: I mean, we I think forward? I watched more things, but you know, whatever. Sure.
2: Oh yeah. No, look, I, we all watch more things than we talk oh, yeah, about no, on no, the no, show. For sure. Definitely filter out the cool ones. <laughs> um, But yeah, uh, I'm so excited to talk about this. You are excited. You picked this. Yes. Yeah. um, Because we weren't having a hard time picking a movie, but just nothing was coming. You know, nothing was Mm -hmm. coming to mind. But I ended up watching an Instagram video of MJ Rodriguez performing Suddenly Seymour at the Pasadena (laughs) Playhouse. Amazing. And I had the sudden overwhelming itch to... Rewatched the uh, original Little Shop of Horrors, or I guess the 86 movie Little Shop of Horrors.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I texted Nate and I was like, How does this sound? And you're like, Hell yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> let's do it.
2: Um, so here's the trailer for the aforementioned movie Little
1: Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you rain.
0: Looks like you're not happy. God, the kisses. <laughs> A girl. Row, a florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. Me see more. And a plant. <laughs> All
1: How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Oh, that's it. Oh my God,
2: <laughs> that's the part that I edited together. <sighs> um, but yes. So, Little Shop of Horrors, there's a. Uh, upon rewatch I was like oh there's so much more to unpack than I even imagined (laughs) um it is both a perfect movie and also a movie where certain scenes I'm like oh mm, okay Mm -hmm. um let's do shady summaries
1: first okay
2: what do we got
1: um I mean I had a few while watching and I think ultimately it's just like another tale where um white people manage to overcome poverty (sighs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh man. Um, yeah, I coming at it from the specific critical lens that we do adopt for queer wolf. That was definitely one of the big things I noticed that I didn't not notice the first couple of times, but it definitely d- was drawn out this time. Um, here's mine. Um, I couldn't, I'm not even proud of this, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised that anybody else likes this movie because as a fan of horror movies, musicals, and the Muppets, this film was made <laughs> specifically and only for me. Um, but yes, also, uh, we're getting one from our Facebook group. Of, course, of the Queer of Pack. This one's from Audrey. And she says, when I chose the name Audrey, too many people ask, like the plant? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I actually did not mean to apply a gender there. I should not assume anyone's pronouns. Um, they said that. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I, I was very, I liked that one a lot.
1: <laughs> that is funny.
2: Um, but yeah, so white people in poverty. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it.
1: I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. Another shady summary. I was like, you know, the things anyone will do to, uh, not be poor anymore, mm-hmm. including like give up their own blood <laughs> Yeah. to do it. Um, But there's something, I don't know, I guess when you're older and you actually understand a lot of different concepts surrounding poverty, not just having the lived experience, you are like this whole song, you know, about being downtown and Skid Row and just the kind of everyday monotony of being poor and and remaining poor. Mm -hmm. Um, It just hit different. When I watched this time, because actually the first time I watched it, I don't know how old I was, but i I remember the house I was living in, and I was like only five or six in that house, uh, so it was probably like ninety or ninety one. And I remember I was watching it, and my mom came home from work, and I thought obviously I thought I was going to get in trouble for watching it. And she looked really angry and I got really scared, but she was just telling me that my grandma had cancer. Oh yeah. It was, <laughs> oh, I, was great. Not, I was not in trouble and my grandma didn't die from that cancer. She had cancer like three more times before she eventually died of cancer. But, um, <laughs> right. at that point it was, it was when she had colon cancer. Um, so I, uh, when my mom, I remember when my mom told me that I started crying and like being very sad. And I always associated that with the movie that oh. like that, that, that sadness, that terror. And then when I rewatched it, maybe like 15 years after that, I was like, Oh, this movie isn't scary. Mm-hmm. I thought this movie was terrifying. And then I was like, did you even finish it? I don't know that I even finished it when I was that young. I mean, man, maybe not. Cause at that point my mom was home. I'm sure I didn't turn it back on, but yeah. It's wow. It's very different. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, in what, what uh, specifically like the downtown kind of skid row kind of thing. Um, did that feel, I don't know, did that feel emotional or did it feel kind of off because we're specifically dealing with, like, there are a lot of people of color in this movie, but they're pretty much exclusively relegated to being side characters Mm -hmm. and like window dressing and the ensemble. Yeah. Um, was that challenging?
1: Well, I mean, I think the the thought of when you really think about downtown and Skid Row, and for um, those of us who live in Los Angeles, a Skid Row is something that makes me very emotional in mm-hmm. general, like at any point, in any day when I think about it. And I'm always trying to think about what can I do? Mm-hmm. Because I think folks that live here, it's very easy to get used to the things that you see around you. And every once in a while I'll have someone visit me and we're driving somewhere downtown and people are like astonished at what they're saying. And I think it's not, obviously I'm, I'm not someone who, you know, I don't want to like display poverty or homelessness so that people can like to garner a reaction in people or to like make people feel certain things. Mm-hmm. But I think it is refreshing when people have a reaction to it and they don't a reaction of like concern and they aren't just like, Oh, that's, that's just the normal stuff that happens here. Mm-hmm. Um, because as like we were talking about earlier, people can get used to anything and people can think anything is normal and yes. okay. And no one should see any of like the home, uh, the houseless encampments in Los Angeles and not feel urgency and concern, and watching the opening of the movie, um, and talking about downtown and the trudge to uptown to work, and then coming back, and all these things. I, what am I trying to say? I just seeing seeing the black folks in this movie, and knowing that um, in LA, like if I am on the east side, and like I'm going. To Koreatown or something, and I pass through downtown. That's probably the only time I'm gonna see large groups of black folks is if I'm going through Skin Row. And it infuriates me that people can either ignore that entirely or people aren't questioning why it's massive groups of people of color, but specifically black people that mm-hmm. are in this situation who are houseless, who have mental health needs, who have substance use going on. Um, and all of that being related to the resources that are, or are not around them. And I just, I mean, at this point I wasn't watching the movie anymore. I was thinking about Uh like our own city, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: I will say, yeah. Speaking to driving through LA, there's nowhere more shocking than like being outside of like a really opulent restaurant and seeing people like just walking past people on the street. It's, it makes you sick to your stomach. Like being out in those areas. It's, it's a lot. I totally feel that I will say something about little shop. Obviously it's, it's weird that all the leads are white, but the movie also is, this is not a, Full heart full throated defense of the movie. But I also want to just mention that like the characters are pretty specifically Jewish and that has a different cadence. Um with like you know, the history of Jewish people in America has not always been the prettiest mm-hmm. history as well. But yeah, definitely it it's still not perfect. It's far from it, especially in the depictions of that. And that is something that was really kind of brought home to me on this rewatch, and I was like, oh, I I do have such a deep rooted love for this movie that is it has its share of problems, and this is just the beginning. But the movie is I don't know, it's one of those things where any narrative piece of art from that day, from any day, from all the time, there's gonna be Good stuff, and there's going to be bad mm-hmm. stuff, and bad stuff's pretty hard in this one. So it's 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 it's, it's a juggling act. It's it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you enjoy watching the movie?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because I can remember enjoying. It. I loved musicals as a young person. Mm-hmm. I can't say it's something that I'm particularly attracted attracted to now, but every musical that I loved as a young person, I still love. Um. It's <laughs> you know funny when I was watching it this time, you know, this song that Steve Martin sings about dentist? being a dentist. Yeah. Oh my God. The, the original, like the initial, uh, part of that song, it reminds me so much. And I'm so glad that I'm here with you because you're going to know what I'm talking okay. about. Okay. Reminds me of that song from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, where <laughs> Rebecca's like, you ruined everything. <laughs> You, you stupid, stupid bitch! <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's such a perfect song. Oh, but uh-huh. it
1: sounds so similar to that song. I was cracking up. Oh, it kind of does. It like does. The, ooh. yeah, you have to re-listen. You'll hear it. Oh my so god! So I was yeah? obsessed with that. Oh, but yeah. also obsessed with Steve Martin.
2: It's this is <laughs> maybe oh, the be- his best role. He
1: is just so hilarious, and he always is. But I had completely forgotten that he was in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I could. But he—he's so silly. I was just screaming.
2: Yeah, and the, that move that he pulls when he's dancing <laughs> out of the shrine to his mom and kind of pelvic thrusting—what a
1: weirdo! Making
2: the guy fall from the yes. Ceiling.
1: Just
2: the 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 blocking of this yeah. movie is exquisite. Mm-hmm. Um, it is directed by Frank Oz, and it I think could only have been directed by Frank Oz. He came. He was birthed from the Muppet Jim Henson camp. You played perfect. Miss Piggy and Fuzzy Bear and that's why the puppetry <sighs> in this movie is so fucking perfect yeah. and untouchable.
1: Jim Henson's son did some of the um Audrey II puppeting. That makes sense. That, yeah. Yeah, Brian. And Jim Henson's daughter was the woman in the dentist office before. Oh, really? Um, yes. <gasps> okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually, they so like not. sprinkled all throughout. Oh, yeah, and
2: he's Frank Oz knows what he's doing with puppets. He was Yoda. He was Yoda. Oh my god! Um, But just Audrey too. The plant has not aged a single day (laughs) since 1986. That is a perfect special effect.
1: That mouth on that plant is beautiful. It's so floppy and
2: organic. Is that
1: gorgeous? Like purple?
2: Yeah. It's (laughs) Uh. also. Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops, the Four Tops, this the talent in this movie. Seriously, he also gives a perfect performance.
1: Perfect, you know they. Well, there was a rumor that Eddie Murphy was supposed to be the voice of Audrey too. Interesting. Can you imagine donkey? (laughs) Just, (laughs) Just like can't ever think of Eddie Murphy now without hearing donkey, and I think we talked about that a little bit. Oh wait, no, no, no! I was when I was on um, Girls' Guts Y'all with, uh-huh. with Annie, and we were talking about Candyman, and they yeah, had and talked Eddie, about. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I can't see Eddie Murphy as Candyman. And God, I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna laugh.
2: <laughs> that's true. I mean, he. I guess he tried to make up for that with Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> of course, um, of course. Which, like, he does a pretty good job of he being does. that kind no, of he like
1: definitely does elegant
2: ancient.
1: I think it's my age. I think like as a very young person, I wasn't allowed to watch his comedy, okay. you know? And then, so like my, and I had to like sneak to watch trading spaces mm-hmm. or coming to America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've always known him as being hilarious and not more serious or like having the range that he does have. He has the range. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know him is Audrey too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't uh,
2: – I don't know that – I don't know. Just because it, it's so hard when, it, when a movie is this perfectly cast. Yeah. It's like I can't imagine anybody else right. participating
1: in it. Oh, my God. Tisha Campbell. Oh, my God. The, the, all three of them. All three of them. I love that um, Tisha and – is it T- Tashina? Tash – Yeah. Pam? <laughs> uh I love that because I I'm a huge Martin fan. Mm-hmm. Like I love Martin, and so I had forgotten that they were in this together before Martin.
2: Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah, because they're they're such a essential part of the like tapestry of this movie, but oh, you yeah. do forget about them because they're not active players mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the plot. Um, they're you know they're the Greek chorus. They comment on it and they facilitate it, but they're not part of it. But yeah. The, um. Anyway, so there's so many things to talk about. I don't want to skip over anything. But where even am I going with this? It's nothing. I have nothing. Um. But yeah. No. Just the the things that make this movie a really interesting adaptation of from like being a piece of musical theater to being a cinematic piece. I think there's a lot of really fun subtle stuff that you can't get in theater because theater is big and it's broad because there's no way to get an audience to focus on a single thing. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the whole stage at the same time and it's far away. So you need to really broadcast what you're supposed to be paying attention to. But in film, you can force people's eyes into a certain direction or like, I love um, Audrey's, introduction to the movie of her like leopard print heels stepping down (laughs) the coming down the steps yes um and you don't you don't get stuff like that in theater you can't um but it's like a real hero's entrance or not not but like the she gets she is given an entrance Mm -hmm. um it's it's a it's a like a heroic trope where you see like Mm -hmm. part of the person before you get to see their face
1: yeah because she had the black eye oh yeah and she was like trying to hide it
2: we need to talk about Ellen Green. Yeah. Who is the most perfect performer. <laughs> yeah. Um Where where do we begin with Ellen Green? Sorry, I'm I'm panicking because I'm so overwhelmed with <laughs> I the reason I wanted to watch this movie is because I wanted to see Ellen Green as Audrey, and that was the one thing I needed in my life at this moment. And I was fully weeping during every scene mm-hmm. that she sings in. Yeah. And she's so the, she's such a cartoon, and yes. it's exactly what the movie needs from her. Um, anyway, sorry. You, you yeah, no, words. she's
1: just so like special, and her performance is so special and perfect. And I know we've said this now about multiple people, but like I can't imagine anyone else in that role. Um,
2: and she was she was in the Broadway production, so she, yeah, and she was the
1: only one, right? Like the only one that yeah. yeah. So that was iconic. Yeah, because you can't
2: recast her and obviously she has been recast cuz she, she can't play Audrey in every production of Little Shop of Horrors but the way that her the she has the range mm-hmm. um her like wispy minnie mouse voice just br- <laughs> busting forth in her miraculous belt yes. that she has it is it it spine tingling like i guess this is a good transition for the song Suddenly Seymour, mm-hmm. which I think is a perfect musical composition and a perfect showcase for Ellen Green's many talents. Re-listening to it this time, I was like, oh, there's a lot of very problematic gender stuff in here. I don't
1: think so. I don't think I listened that closely to it.
2: Um, Well, just in, at least it, it wouldn't have meant the same thing now, then as it did does now. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like, you know, Seymour's a nice guy. He doesn't need her to wear makeup for him. He's like, you're beautiful without your makeup. And the song literally begins like, wash off your mascara, wipe that lipstick away. And it's like, if she wants to wear it, she can't.
1: That part. Right.
2: Yeah. And then the whole refrain in the chorus of, like, he has purified her. That word hit me wrong this time. Yeah, that's gross. Where it's like, he's done nothing for her. Yeah. Um, I guess he kind of almost murdered her boyfriend. But, like... Right. Um, she has always been who she is, and who she Mm is is incredible. Mm -hmm. And Seymour hasn't done anything to release this. Yeah, and the song is about him doing that. And true that it makes me itchy.
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about how, like, obviously, her first boyfriend is not the kind of partner any of us are looking for. Um, and you know, she talks a lot about how she doesn't deserve someone nice and she doesn't mm-hmm. deserve someone like Seymour. And I'm like, he's a hot mess too. Like he's not giving you black eyes, but like, just because he's, n- I think just because he's nice doesn't mean he deserves you. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. Aud- Audrey's Audrey's a
2: tragic figure beginning yeah. and end of this movie. Mm hmm. But at least
1: she gets what she wants. She does get what she wants. And I'm happy for her in that. But. No, you're right. You're right. I, I guess I always, I kind of love it when things end and, and the woman chooses like neither, mm. <laughs> neither of the men. Cause she's like, actually, you ain't shit either. Um, you know, like in Crazy Ex Girlfriend, when yes. Rebecca picks herself over everyone, it's like kind of what I want. But yes. I, as someone that would probably also just go date Seymour after. <laughs> I'm like, who are you even talking to, bitch? But well, um, I
2: don't know. She wants that postcard life. Yeah. And she can get that from him. It's true. Now that he's been thrown a lot of money from this plant business. Mm-hmm. And.
1: Wants the green. I'm like, is she talking about money? <laughs>
2: And also, her last name is Green. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm.
1: Ugh, I um, love that fake yard that she daydreams about with oh, the striped astroturf. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, the 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 staginess yeah. of the entire movie
2: yeah. is kind of perfect for what it is because mm-hmm. it is a cartoon. It's not real, and the fact like they created that entire like city block yeah. set indoors mm-hmm. and in London.
1: Was it in London? Yeah.
2: Oh, you did, you did your IMDb oh, just research. just like a little. Yes.
1: You know, that's very useful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it said it was filmed, in, or maybe not London, but filmed entirely in England. Oh, okay. On that set.
2: Yeah, and it, it's all
1: indoors. And you can tell it's not trying to hide how <laughs> stagey it is. It's perfect for that. Yeah, you're right that it's a cartoon. And so it is perfect for that.
2: Yeah, because there's so much wacky stuff going on. Oh, my God. Also, yeah, speaking of wacky, Bill Murray as the masochistic dental patient. Oh, my God.
1: Bill Murray. He – I had completely forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. And I was reading how um, after he gets, like, into the dentist chair, most of that, besides his moans, were ad-libs. Oh, yeah. Bill – you know (laughs) –
2: and both Bill Murray and Steve Martin are are people that I associate with like straight white man comedy that yeah. isn't always for me mm-hmm. it, it can mm. especially in their later years it gets a little sticky but this I think is the best they've ever been like they're both in their prime oh my God. they're both collaborating for this kind of perfect scene
1: You're killing me so funny and I love like <laughs> I love how what's Steve Martin's name in this what's the boyfriend's uh, name dds Orin. I love how once he figured out that Bill Murray wanted that he was like oh get the fuck out of my yeah. chair <laughs> like get out of here and that's so wild because obviously I'm thinking like while all of this is happening and what I think all the time when people are sadist like that is uh-huh. how it's so unfortunate that consent isn't part of like what drives them because yes. you can absolutely find someone to consent to that. <laughs> yes. Like you can have, like you can find your Bill Murray.
2: Find your Bill Murray. You know,
1: you can. Uh, FetLife. Match.com. FetLife. Like get, on, yes. get online, <laughs> find your person. But yeah, truly just straight up hilarious. Yeah. And also, I don't think
2: that's, uh, like, of all the problematic elements of this film, the kind of, like, sadomasochism of that is the one that I feel like was most well-handled. In that, obviously, like, it's all played for laughs, but it's, the laughs are more derived from Steve Martin being, or failing to be evil. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And it's not necessarily like, oh, look at Bill Murray, he's so weird. It's like... Oh, he has like Oren Scrivello has met his match. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And we
2: are laughing at his frustration and exactly. not being able to be a terrible person.
1: Right. <laughs> so funny. Uh Steve Martin and John Candy.
2: Oh uh Wink Wink Wilkinson? Wink, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I
1: was thinking and I was also thinking that during um just about like radio vjs like um in texas chainsaw oh yeah stretch stretch, and then with john candy's character just how especially with john just how fucking weird and like zany you have to be to like i don't know just to like stand out and then like get a fan base yeah
2: and (laughs) people to get your point across like with just (coughs) sound
1: yeah Exactly, Ugh, I love John Candy. It made me want to watch. Like, I definitely have to watch *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles* mm-hmm. now. One of my favorite movies. Ugh, I just need to see him and Steve Martin together again. Oh yeah, and
2: look, th- this movie really had peak like white man '70s comedians. Funny, oh. Um, I also the the like James. James Belushi, that part at the end is like I could kind of take your leave. Yeah. Um, but the Christopher Guest as the first uh, <laughs> the customer, customer, yeah,
1: was like, "What a strange and interesting plant." <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, how much was fifty dollars in 1986? And I think I think Little Shop is set before then too, Ooh, so it's like so, kind of fifty. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Of course, it's set before then. So a hundred dollars yeah. with the roses. I'm like they don't even have that many roses in here. No. They, don't. Uh, they keep them in the back. <laughs> oh my, like, oh god. my god.
2: What? Sorry, Oh, uh, speaking of like the little kind of subtle things that you don't necessarily it's not calling attention to because there's so much that's so big in this movie. Yeah. But probably my favorite scene is when she's making the emergency. <laughs> the funeral, funeral
1: oh my out with the <laughs> glitter.
2: Yeah. She's like, "Lilies
1: glue." Glue. <laughs> Glitter.
2: Yes. And she's they're having a conversation. She's tossing handfuls of oh, glitter.
1: But like kind of throwing it really hard. Yes. Like it was not a gentle toss, like a little spray. No. She was pelting it with the yeah, glitter. I just I
2: I love the kind of gentle tackiness of Audrey. Oh, she's so funny. Yeah. She <laughs> She's just so sweet mm-hmm. and yeah. Like she's she doesn't need Seymour to purify her. She is pure. She is <laughs> absolutely a, what a small bean. Is that what we're saying now? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Um. Yeah. Okay. The, now it's my turn to be Michael talking about Scream 2, just bouncing around <laughs> wildly. But back to Orange Crivella, DDS. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think this movie gets enough credit for the puppetry of the scene where we're looking at him from the inside of somebody's mouth as he's drilling oh. the tooth. Because you can't just put a camera in somebody's mouth. Like, that was an enormous puppet they built with these big flappy cheeks and gums and lips. Oh, wow. And, like, that kind of muscular, fluid tongue. Like That is expert wow. puppetry.
1: Okay, I That didn't even connect for me, but you're right.
2: Yeah, like, because you don't think about it because you're like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. But no, they built a giant mouth. Oh, and they just amazing. put Steve Martin and the, the ladies outside of the mouth. <laughs> And he had an extra long dental tool to for like forced mm, perspective.
1: Okay, that's a
2: lot of work. Yeah, and it does not get the respect. I love
1: that. Totally. Huh.
2: Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to talk about what? What? Um. Stood out to you on this watch, like good or bad?
1: Um. I mean, definitely just like the plight of. Um, folks experiencing poverty. I was thinking, you know, when um, the Greek chorus is standing outside mm-hmm. of the shop window and he's like, no loitering, fuck out of here. And then, you know, go to school and they're like, we dropped out. And he's like, how are you going to better your life? And I'm like, you know what? People do love to yell at black, folk, black folks loitering, probably anyone loitering who doesn't have any money, but or assume, is assumed to not have any. But especially black people loitering. And like, <laughs> Question their like life goals. I mean, Sir, I just met you. Like, don't even, you don't even need to worry about me. First of all, you can ask me nicely to not stand in front of your store. Yeah. Second of all, how am I going to better myself? Look around our neighborhood. Do you think that there are not people who have finished school who are in the exact same position that we are right mm-hmm. now? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's very true. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I don't, I don't love Well, anything about the way that people of color are kind of treated by the movie. I appreciate that there are any. Mm -hmm. That is not a fully white Skid Row, because that would be infinitely worse. Right. But making, you know, obviously the disparity between the like roles with actual dialogue is still, you know, it's more apparent because of that. Anyway. um,
1: But, you know, I was also thinking about um, like obviously Seymour... And Audrey, like they, you know, they make it, quote unquote, they make Mm. it, they, you know, achieve their or are on the way to achieve their dreams. But I was thinking about how the shop owner, Mr. Mushnick, Mr. Mushnick, he he's ready to quit. Like, he's yeah. done. He's like, this is it. We don't have any customers. We're done. And it's Audrey first and then Seymour who are like, here are some ideas. Mm-hmm. Here are some marketing ideas. Here are some business ideas. Like, he literally needs the people who, I mean, I'm assuming he makes more money than them because yes. he's their boss. And just how many times those of us in jobs in the entry level positions or even higher than that, but like, we're not in, on the executive management team, how we are providing these sustaining ideas Mm -hmm. to the people who make a lot more money than we do. And it's like saved the day, (laughs) which is what happens in this movie. They're like, no, here are some ideas. And I'm like, this is so typical.
2: Yeah, and most of the time, those bosses aren't devoured by a carnivorous plant. Unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love how, you know, when Seymour figures out <laughs> that fucking plant with those the, ugh, the lips, I can't. When he figures out, like, what this plant wants. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, poor people really will give away their own blood to try and save something. Themselves, their yeah. job. Like, literally. Literally. Blood, sweat, and tears. But in this movie, the blood... Right in. Yeah. And
2: also that little pinprick of blood is mm-hmm. such a great gross effect. Like the small bits of gore are the ones that really kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, shiver me timbers. <laughs> um, but yeah, when he's dripping it into Audrey Two's mouth, I'm like, yeah. this is disgusting. Mm-hmm.
1: It is disgusting. And not
2: when he's, you know, ex-murdering Steve Martin and throwing legs into the mouth. That's no. That's wacky.
1: Yeah, totally. No, it is. I love when Audrey too is eating Mr. Mushnik and like the first bite, like his legs are just yeah. like dangling out. And then, but it's funny because like the mouth keeps clamping down and it's like this person is not being chewed, but then he just gets like swallowed whole. Yeah. I love. Oh, yeah. I love because then, you know, like when the plant tried to eat Audrey too. And she's like got her legs hanging out. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, she's still good. Like they're good till they get swallowed, really. Yeah,
2: the <laughs> teeth are uh, aesthetic only. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, they're
2: there's decorative. Like four of them or something. Yeah. <gasps> they're all spread out. Oh my god the the little the little flowers that sing during so Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. Like, la, la.
1: Yeah, <laughs> those are adorable.
2: <sighs> oh, um, this is a good transition. Have you seen the like alternate ending for no. Little Shop? Mm-mm. Okay. I'll briefly explain it to okay. you. Okay. Um, this is the ending of, well, the original 1960 Roger Corman movie and the musical. But it uh, it does end with Audrey being eaten and then Seymour being eaten. And then there's a musical number called Don't Feed the Plants about Audrey 2 basically like taking over the world. And there's a pretty cool effect shot of like Audrey in a city like... Destroying buildings and bridges and stuff. So it's really cool, but it's also, it's a very grim ending. Mm -hmm. And it tested really poorly with the focus groups. And Frank Oz made the decision to change the original ending because the tone of the, of that works better in theater when, you know, the actors come out right afterward for a curtain call Mm -hmm. and you know, they're fine and you can play into the camp of it and you're kind of aware of it. But in a movie, they're gone. and It's more grim.
1: Mm. Um, That makes sense. I was reading that also the original um, dental office was like a lot bloodier and messier, but it didn't test well with audiences. So they had to like reshoot and clean it up a bit. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Like when he dies or like the... Yeah.
1: Um, Let's see where I was reading it. Oh, sorry.
2: Oh, that's okay. Um, what else is, should I play some interstitial music? Oh, I brought some yes. Little Shop. Okay. Um, I was like, I definitely just downloaded the whole Little Shop album onto my phone in case we needed to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hear some of that Ellen Green belt and the newly newly christened, slightly problematic, suddenly Seymour.
1: <laughs> no, Seymour, shut up. God, this
2: is the part where she really to breaks out.
1: Like
2: holy shit! just that voice coming out of nowhere because yeah. so she's been talking <laughs> that high, breathy right. the whole time.
1: Fuck it up, girl. Yes.
2: Oh, she deserves to be in so much more than she's been in. Yeah. I mean, she's like a theater actress, so I'm sure she works a lot that I haven't been able to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only other thing I've seen her in is Pushing Daisies. Shout out to Brian Fuller. Yeah. You know what's up. <laughs> and she does get to sing a little bit in that show. Have you watched Pushing Daisies? Mm-hmm. Okay. The the part where she um does the new rendition of that hymn, Morning Has Broken, Uh, it's glorious yeah it's stunning yeah i just i just always want to cry when ellen green is singing like her and alice ripley from next to normal are two of my favorite like musical theater actresses like who can just
1: belters huh? yeah just
2: rip their vocal cords out <laughs> yeah. and just whip you with them
1: oh yeah uh, here it says, it says the dentist's office originally was more grungy and blood splattered, but those details did not go over well. With the test audiences, the set was cleaned up and the, screen, and the scenes reshot for the final film.
2: Oh. You know what? I mean, I assume that means like the whole time it was kind of like that. And that yeah. makes sense that it would be a little off-putting. Because it's funny because he looks exactly like your dentist.
1: Yeah, I think people needed to like I think that they needed that to like aid in showing how truly evil he was. Because if you walk into a grungy dentist office with like blood splatters, yeah, you're, you're like, well, obviously this yeah. guy sucks. But when you walk into the pristine white clean office and then you find out who he really is, it's more startling. Yeah. And
2: there's just the kind of banality of it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good decision. And look, I like the ending cause I just love Audrey so much. I want her to, get it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um would you what would you have thought do you think if we got the ending that was originally intended of them just both being devoured
1: i i mean i would all i'm i would have been fine with seymour (laughs) being devoured i would have wanted audrey to like you know pick herself and to win and to like move on um but I I would have loved to see Audrey too ripping down buildings and bridges. That would have been that kick is ass. it is
2: that is worth seeing. Hell yeah! Um, I think it's on YouTube.
1: Okay, if we
2: want to you know okay. check it out at some point. Um, I'm just lost in reverie now. Um,
1: were there any was there anything you were able to queer in your mind or anything you noticed in particular Ooh. that stuck out to you? What a terrific question It's almost like
2: you have a queer podcast <laughs>
1: um I mean for me, the
2: queer element is I mean Howard Ashman, the songwriter, um he was a gay man mm-hmm. um who died of AIDS not too long after this movie came out, and it was a huge loss to mm-hmm. every community it's possible to Absolutely. to be in um but yeah, I mean obviously he did him and Alan Menken did Sleeping Beauty and Little Mermaid Mm. and just a bunch of really wonderful musical pieces. Um, And I feel like his sensibility in taking a look at this silly Roger Corman B movie that was produced and shot in a week before the set was going to be torn down and finding the joy in its earnestness and converting that into this brilliant piece of like camp satire I think that's, that's a very queer thing to do. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I was coming
1: from. Mm, I can see that. I was thinking about how so many queer women like on their journey to figuring out their queerness, mm-hmm. like kind of date a horrible man <laughs> and think that they, well, due to many reasons, um, might think they don't deserve better. um, and then are able to like come to terms with their queerness and kind of explore that more and just like have a better, I mean, I have no idea what Audrey and Seymour's relationship was really like and how that really turned out. But mm. I think we're supposed to assume that it was everything that both of them wanted.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, I look as, as much as Seymour is an icky character, at least in terms of the ways he feels about it's just the, the gender politics of it all is yeah, not the best but, but he's
1: supposed to be precious, right? Yeah. Like we're supposed to be, I mean, he is. And I remember as a kid, like, thinking, like, oh, that guy's so sweet. Yeah, he's
2: he's just kind of a loser, <laughs> dork. Mm-hmm. But not, mm-hmm. not in a creepy way. In
1: an endearing way. Yeah. Like, um, if he doesn't work for you, and he just, like, spilled all of the pots, and you're like, fuck my life. That was, like, $1,000 worth of oh, terracotta. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i not selling um, But I will say,
2: um, one thing that gives me hope for their relationship is, is that scene that you mentioned earlier about them coming up with the idea to kind of save the flower shop Mm -hmm. because there's the implication there that they collaborate Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. Audrey was like, show Mr. Mushnick the new plants you've been, I can't do it. Yeah, no, she Um, had
1: his back for sure. She was like, Oh, actually I can show you a specific example. Yeah. My man's got it down in the basement. Just give me a second. Yeah. And,
2: but also there's the implication that they, you know, they talk, um, they, Mm -hmm. she, you know, shares interest in his hobbies. Yeah. They have a like deeper than coworkers. Yeah. Relationship now they're crushing already. on each other hard. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. She's like, I don't deserve him, but I like him. Oh yeah. And she, yeah. she's
2: specifically singing about him in somewhere Definitely. that's green too. Definitely.
1: Oh yeah. I, I've been seeing, um, some tweets and memes and whatnot talking about, the you know, the there's this common idea that if you don't love yourself, you can't love nobody else. Uh-huh. Or like you know, that Thanks kind of problem. thing. And I love all these things that I've been seeing on the internet about how fucked up that is and how you are able to be loved probably at any state in your emotional growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I and I was thinking about that because I think I have some like deep seated ideas about like what makes people eligible for relationships. And I was thinking like, oh, what is Audrey doing? Like leaving one abusive relationship and like jumping into another one. But shut up. Like, who cares? <laughs> it's not your business. Um, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about what the Internet is bringing up lately about who does and who doesn't deserve love. Yeah, and because the thing is,
2: with very few exceptions, everyone deserves love. I, yeah, like no one is. I mean, because saying that someone doesn't de- deserve love exempts them from humanity, mm-hmm. and that's a really sickening and sad thing to do to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are people who are beyond repair. You know, people like you know Hitler or whatever. <laughs> like people who are. It's like let's let's really not do any uh, legwork. Mm trying to defend right. these human beings. But for the most part, you know, humans as, you know, flawed and broken and cruel and problematic as we can be like, just you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a very privileged thing to say and to like espouse because I think especially for queer folks, most of us have, some kind of like interesting relationship with our family. And yeah. and some of us are are luckier or, or like more privileged than others um and maybe we have our families in our lives to a certain degree but a lot of us our families don't even know us at this point. Yeah. Like they don't know who we are, they don't know what we're interested in, they don't know what we do from day to day or who we date or don't date and it takes time and resources like therapy or having loved ones around you to, to work through those things and, um, it's fucked up to tell people that they don't deserve access to other people because yeah. they haven't been able to, you know, jump over certain hurdles in their own life. Yeah. Because sometimes you need help Yeah, because <laughs> that denies, I mean, that
2: kind of dovetails with the idea of, you know, the idea that we're trying to destigmatize therapy and mm-hmm. destigmatize asking for help. Yeah. Like those two things are mutually exclusive in their philosophies. And obviously, if you need help, you need to be able to get it. It's not like not everyone can fix themselves or has to. Like you need to ask for help sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Also, most people are kind of fucked up and lots yeah. of those people are in relationships like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's usually people that have the privilege of because I think having the kind of love you want in your life, whether it's like romantic and sexual or just romantic, whatever the case may be, like mm-hmm. it is a privilege or it feels privileged and special when you're able to have it. And it's usually people that have it that are telling people that don't <laughs> that they don't deserve it
2: yeah and that that's that's a, a travesty yeah um oh god i, I my brain what fell out <laughs> my butt again okay um, wow. where did it go um okay no there was one more thing i wanted to say
1: about <laughs> just like can't oh, let that go god. hold on okay go for it <laughs> <laughs> why is that so funny i'm just so
2: I'm just really oh funny. Lord. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I remembered what I was going to say okay. though. It came back. <laughs> um okay. Um basically, you know, it's a sad fact of the world that we live in. Um being a queer person kind of means that you have been through a trauma mm-hmm. in your life. It's mm-hmm. kind of a obviously not for everyone, but it's kind of a requisite of the coming out process, is that either you have lived with fear or shame or guilt or something really horrible that has impacted your life in long lasting ways. And we all need help from, from ourselves and from each other to get through that. Yeah. And you know, that, that idea of not deserving love is, if you can't love yourself is antithetical to the queer community. Because we all have so much um, baggage that the world has given us that we need to work through, that we should not mm-hmm. put any obstacles into us achieving love.
1: Also, most people don't like themselves. If they're being honest, yeah. Like you have either been incredibly lucky, and you know, pat on the back to you uh, if you have been able to live your life and not had people in your life or the entire world telling you that you're wrong for being who you are. Like, congratulations. But most people, if you are able to be like, Oh, I like who I am, which for the most part, I'm able to say that about myself, but Uh it it not only took a lot of initial work, it takes a lot of maintenance. It does. And at any moment, yeah, it's a day to day, sometimes an hour to hour, minute to minute thing. And at any point in time, something could happen that flips your shit upside down. And you don't feel that way for whatever reason. Yeah. And I would hate to think like, what (laughs) I'm like, okay, so I loved myself and I got into a relationship, but then like something fucked, I got fired from my job or something. And now I don't like myself. And it's like, Oh, I don't deserve to be in a relationship or to like receive the support of a partner because of that. No, of course not. Yeah. And
2: the idea that it's like a one-to-one thing. Yeah. And, and as if someone can accomplish loving themselves and that's going to be the way it is forever. Yeah. Like it's It's just not misguided.
1: Unfortunately, and it's like, you know what? If that's not your story, c- good for you. Yeah. Like, I'm so, I'm genuinely not being a bitch and so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, but also, I
2: feel like the people who have that are
1: lying. Well, I'm definitely being a bitch, and yes, they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think sometimes this comes up when we talk about um, the, uh, representation in film or in anything, whether it's queer folks, people of color, queer people of color, and it's like, well let's let's show a story of like a gay person whose parents did accept them let's Mm. show a story of a trans person who doesn't experience like x y or z and it's like of course there are those stories out there and we want to tell those stories and we want to offer people hope and we want to like show them experiences that are maybe outside of what they've dreamt up for themselves yeah um and so if you are a person, you know, I talked to someone the other day who said that they're, they're a fat person. They said they'd like never been on a diet. They'd never like dislike their body. And I'm like, that's incredible.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's is.
1: so, that's so cool. I don't know anyone that's never been on a diet or dislike their body, whether they're fat or not. Like I feel like everyone in this world has been taught that they're not good enough. And I haven't personally met anyone who hasn't like had to deal with those kinds of insecurities. But like, if that's your story, that's so cool. I'm, you know, that's great. Um, so, but that's not who we're talking to right now. <laughs> yeah. We're talking to people who that's not their story, which I believe is most people. Yeah. It, it couldn't
2: not be right.
1: You know, I mean, something might happen and I might learn and find out that I'm wrong. And that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to be wrong about that.
2: No, I just, I just feel like the more of an adult I become in the sense of like, age and responsibility the more i'm like oh nobody knows what the fuck they're doing do oh, absolutely. they like yeah i, yeah, I feel like the truth. we're all just helpless babies just <laughs> floundering around yeah we're winging it no one has it all figured out that's that's the secret
1: mm-hmm. and the moment you do think that life will probably hand your ass to you a little bit probably and you'll learn hopefully maybe i don't know I don't want that to happen to people. No. Like, Getting your ass handed to you is awful, but yeah. um, most of us can't avoid it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Make the best from it.
2: <laughs> anyway, little shop. Little shop. Um, Do we have a favorite song?
1: Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's good. No. You <laughs> could lay down a um, beat under that. Right. I don't think so. Like I can't, I haven't, obviously no, like, no, there hasn't been a song that I'm like, that's my favorite song in the film.
2: Mm. For me, I'm, I'm working through my very complicated relationship with Suddenly Seymour right now. It's understandable. Which it didn't, I was not expecting going into this screening that that would be the case, but yeah, like looking at it again, I was like, oh, okay, well, gonna have to do some.
1: Put, thinking. <laughs> yeah,
2: put some put some thoughts in the old brain box. Um But other than that, oh also Dadu and the like Chinese outfits <laughs> that they're wearing. Yeah. I was
1: like Oh yeah,
2: this is happening in this movie. Um You
1: know, I was I was thinking about that. I'm like, what when does the appropriation start? Like and where yeah. does it end? And I'm like if you see someone whose culture does not wear that dress and they wear that dress. I don't know. Well, as a kid, I especially didn't think about it, but I'm like, I don't know that I always think someone is appropriating mm-hmm. when they wear something from someone else's culture. And now that I say that out loud, I'm like, yes, of course they are. I don't know what I'm saying.
2: Like literally but they I, are, but the intent can be different.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I don't actually usually ever care about people's intent and more about their impact. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I don't, I have no idea. I guess if you ever feel like saying, doing, wearing something that you know is not yours, just, you can just check in with people. Yeah. Yeah. and it, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Or if there's a question, don't do it. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Or, like, I mean, the, the situation that I'm specifically thinking of is if, like, if someone is attending a wedding that's in a culture that's not their own, and mm-hmm. there's, like, specific formal dress, yes. you definitely have to check in and be like... Am I allowed to? What do you want me to do? Like, where are we going with this? Because I don't want to be the only person not doing it, but I also don't want to take your thing. Yeah, totally. Um, So there are situations where it's like, I don't know, allowed, but you definitely have to be really on the ball about it. Mm -hmm.
1: Which is great, folks. Yeah. You know, that little bit of extra work you put in. I know people want to make it feel like it's the hardest thing to do, but it's actually wonderful have a conversation ask some questions respect people yeah
2: we love conversations
1: yeah <laughs> it's
2: the official uh queer wolf motto
1: <laughs> oh i miss michael
2: it's <laughs> good just because yeah. we both have to talk to fill in the time
1: <laughs> <laughs> no well i mean for many reasons yeah no like, but look- what what disgusting thing would he have said <laughs> today
2: what what dong reference would you be making right now,
1: <laughs> Michael? <laughs>
2: uh, we miss you. Have fun. On, have so much fun, Michael, on your movie. Yeah, he'll be back by the time your he Filming your cool hears ass probably, movie. Yeah, what the hell. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, but yes. Uh, anything else about this movie? I think. Oh, um, I will say the song "Somewhere That's Green," I. whenever I try to remember in which direction the sun sets, I only think about that song, which is like, while the sun sets in the
1: West. And that's the only reason I know that fact. I would never remember it otherwise. You know what's funny is that when I try to remember where the sun sets, I also think of a song. What song? Oh, God. But it's like this old Christian Southern Baptist song. Okay. Where I literally just remember... I think This person's name's like Vestal Goodman, and she sings and she just talks about the Lord splitting the eastern sky, which is the sunlight oh, yeah. during the sunrise because he used to scare the shit out of me thinking about Jesus coming back at sunrise and the sky splitting open. Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, that's, Vestal
2: Goodman. Vestal
1: Goodman has to be a made up name, no, right? Mm-mm. because
2: that's the most baptist name that could ever because vestal means virginal and then good man is your last name wow
1: i did not know that that's what vestal means no listen my mom used to be upset oh obsessed what was that bill gaither or something there's like this oh my god yeah yeah and um she would buy like the videotapes and we would sit around watching bill gaither would have his like homecoming video or like this video. And he'd invite all of the Southern Baptist friends, oh, the wow. musicians, the singers, uh-huh. and they would just have like a little sing-along. My mom had all of these videos. She would uh-huh. take us to the concerts. Yeah, I don't know about all. Uh, yeah. But because literally in this video, I watched one not that long ago when it was, I was I think I was in a hotel and there was infomercial, and like an infomercial on. And it was for the, the Bill Gaither band or something. Uh-huh. And
2: Is it a trio? Is it is that
1: what it is? I can't remember how okay. many people are in this, but they mentioned they were like back when um black blacks were slaves and oh. they sang negro spirituals and i was like oh my god did i watch this as a child oh. <laughs> what's happening so yeah not something i watch now but no. i also think of a song when it's time to remember okay which direction the sun's?
2: thank you to music <laughs> yes. um have you listened to the podcast Good Christian Fun?
1: Absolutely not.
2: No, but here's the thing. Should I? Um, it is kind of a – I mean, the the two people who host it are Christian, but they're very, like, modern progressives, and they're very filthy-minded. Mm. Um, but they take a look at the kind of Christian pop culture that they grew up with and kind of dissect it and dismantle it and look at it from a modern perspective. And it's really funny and you might like it, but they're still Christians. They are still Christians, that's but they weird. have a no, I'm Just kidding. They Sorry. have a complicated relationship with it. Uh, yeah, they, I they can f- imagine. Recently, they've been starting the podcast with
1: "We're both Christians for now." <laughs> that's real. Um,
2: yeah, so that's real.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a journey. Ooh, that's a scary place to be. And I remember when I was like, "Am I not a Christian anymore?" I was still Christian enough to believe in a hell. So I was like, Ugh, "What if I'm going there now?" Yeah, fun times.
2: <sighs> Delightful. Um, so does little shop. Are we giving it a pride float? No. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to give Howard Ashman a pride float Mm -hmm. just because he means so much to me and to the community at large. Yeah. And while some of the like themes and ideas of this movie, first of all, which came from a movie from the sixties and it's not, it's not defensible by being that, but it's like, it's, it's there. Um, um, those, I don't necessarily want to get behind. I, not, not not necessarily, I don't want to get behind. Um, but as a work of craftsmanship, this movie is pretty incomparable. Um, and Little Shrine to Howard
1: Ashman, wherever we go. If they want to put MJ Rodriguez on a, on a float oh, singing, yeah. then let's do it, you know? She could sing anything. Anything. Yeah. She could so. sing
2: just commercial jingles on that float.
1: <laughs> I'd show up.
2: Oh yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. A a no feels
2: right. Um, but yeah, I still, you know, a theater kid at heart in this movie still does mean a lot to me, even though like you do have to face the realities of certain things that are wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, I did bring some photos of when I was in little shop in high school. Yes. Um, I'll share these on Twitter probably. Uh, keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, so basically in the Broadway version of the show, the I, I said this on a Rocky Horror episode, but again, I don't know what order we're airing these. Um, so the dentist plays all the minor characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we did in my high school was one person played the dentist and I played all the minor characters. So I played the Christopher Guest, like the first customer. Yeah. I played the Wink Wilkinson character. Cool. Um, I played a bunch of different people. And then there's a song in the movie called The Meek Shall Inherit, which is him being offered a lot of things at like fancy restaurants and signing contracts and stuff. It's very truncated in the movie, but in the show it's like a full like 6-minute mm-hmm. piece and I played all three of the people <laughs> um offering him deals. Amazing. So, I played one businessman and then a businesswoman and then a yes. different businessman. Yes. Um with quick changes during the chorus it's great it's so fun um but yeah so i have if you want to swipe right i got some uh pictures <laughs> of me with very floppy hair in a variety of Look costumes Oh
1: um <laughs> giving it your all oh i see that thank you <laughs> right there you're uh, adorable thank you
2: I, I was a senior i would have been 17 in those
1: pictures <laughs> Oh my god, I am obsessed!
2: But yeah, it's it's a it's a fun show to do. Um, yeah, definitely. It it you know, there's actually there's an episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend of Rebecca Bunch having to come to terms with the problematic (laughs) elements of her old favorite musical theater standards. Um, the one where she puts on a review, mm-hmm. um, at the community theater and she's yeah. looking at these songs and being like, I liked this song. <laughs> this is incredibly problematic.
1: Oh my God. That's right. Uh, one of my favorite shows. It's such a good show. <laughs>
2: I'm so, my heart thrills whenever you bring <laughs> it up because I suddenly remember, Oh yes, there's another person in the world I can talk to about this oh, show. Yeah, anytime. Um, was that it? What else should we talk about? I think that's it. That's it. Okay. Where can we find the two of us uh, on the yeah. internet? Yeah, uh,
1: you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Black Cupcake. It's B L A K K Cupcake, uh, and you can find my art Instagram at Gaudy Los Angeles on Instagram.
2: And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Wolf Pod. Uh, join our Facebook group, Attack of the Queer Wolf Pack. It is. I love that group. Oh yeah. It is, I love that group.
1: That Waffle House conversation the other day.
2: There is some beautiful uh, stuff going on.
1: I will talk about Waffle House anytime, any place.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. No, it, it's, it's such a fun place to just hang out and watch. Like, I don't tend to talk a lot outside of the posts that I share, um, like asking for shady summaries and about the show and that kind of thing. But I am always lurking and watching what people <laughs> yeah. are saying. I just think
1: it's so cool that people have a place and um, you know, there's been a post like, Hey, I'm working on this thing and I need encouragement Yeah, and then they get encouragement. And I'm like, hell yeah. I'm glad that this space exists. Yeah. That sure.
2: we, yeah. We could facilitate this in any, you know, strange yeah. twisted way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a lot of cool people and look, I'm not asking you to like, or rejoin facebook fully right, um right. but if you want to just you know look at those group notifications they're pretty fun yeah
1: because we really do love interacting with y'all or like i do i get oh, yeah. so excited um on thursdays to see people start reacting to the show that just came out um and when y'all tweet us and message us and post us in your instagram stories like all of that means a lot to us yeah. and when uh especially when y'all compliment something um on a platform that Michael doesn't have. I send him screenshots. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he probably
2: is getting double on he, some of those. He
1: probably loves it. Oh, um. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for interacting with us.
2: Yeah. And also, um, you and I have brought this up before. But, like, if you have a problem with the show, you can also tell us. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, we're not just looking for compliments all the time. Although, they are lovely. And please, if, yes, you, if I you're love feeling them. it, please. I
1: love them. But for sure, we're open you know we know that like uh, a lot of folks that listen to this show don't have um, the amount of community in their life that they would like, and so I take it very seriously that we are able to provide that for you in yeah. some small way um, and so I definitely don't ever want to be a space that discourages you or offends you, et cetera so yeah, absolutely you know,
2: and, and especially like on on Twitter or whatever, like we might not always have time to like. Fully, I mean, for for people who have a problem or have an actual like serious thing to discuss, we always have time for you. But sometimes, you know, like if we get a like and not like a full conversation out of a tweet, like you know, we have jobs and whatever, Um, so that happens. But also remember, we're we're absolutely not famous people. (laughs) Um, So some people like are worried about tweeting at someone because they're like, oh, they get this all the time. They're not gonna like. They're going to, you know, just be annoyed. It's like, I'm not, I don't know.
1: No, that's not us.
2: Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Um, Seriously, nobody talks to me. So, like, if you (laughs) want to say something, go for it.
1: Um, Excuse me. Someone left, um, uh, uh, what you call it, um, Jesus Christ, a review and said, Brennan would bang. Okay. (laughs) Thank you to this person. That was my favorite ever. Uh, I mean, ten ten would bang me too. I mean, I also, I take
2: to heart the one that says Brennan's a dork. Cause oh, I, wear I love that, that, one. that badge with honor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Oh yeah. Also you can review us on, uh, Apple podcasts or mm-hmm. wherever you're, doing that kind of thing yeah, I'm always we'll deeply confused by the million other podcast apps there are because someone's always like I'm listening on earwaffle and I'm like I have no idea what that <laughs> is <laughs> oh, but anyway yeah you can find me on Twitter it's raining brins on Instagram at the burning clem uh, yeah
1: bye that's it. <laughs> yeah bye folks
0: attack of the queer wolf is a member of the Fangoria podcast network hosted and produced by Brennan Klein Michael Kennedy and Renee Beaver Sound recording, mixing, and editing by Ernie Hurtado, recorded at Rebel Talk Network in Los Angeles. Music by Von Kiss. Logo art and design by John Holland. For Fangoria, Dallas Sonier, Phil Nobile Jr., Jessica Safavimir, Brandon Wynerti, Natasha Pesetta, and Rob Galuzzo.